Welcome to another episode of Building the Future podcast, where I have one-on-one conversation with entrepreneurs, innovators, and thought leaders who are shaping the African future. I'm your host, Dotson. My guest today is Kola Aino. Kola is the founder of Imagine Platforms, a technology solutions company that provides services for several clients, including private organizations, government, and education institutions in Nigeria. Kola is a thought leader in the Nigerian tech ecosystem with his regular contributions on media and Twitter. I met Kola last year and we seem to immediately connect due to our shared belief in entrepreneurship as a viable way to accelerate growth potentials in Africa. Kola does not only do the talk but literally puts his money where his mouth is. In 2016, he and his team launched Ventures Platform, an early stage fund and startup accelerator for founders across Africa. Since then, they have invested in over 20 startups through the program. In this episode, we're going behind the to understand demand, its method, and its motivations. But first, let's shout out to those who are supporting this episode. This episode is brought to you by The Longer Practice. Are you about to start a new business or running an existing one? You need a lawyer. I have seen a number of startups unable to raise money or miss out on a lucrative deal because they fail legal due diligence. You don't want that to happen to you. This is why you need to have a startup-focused lawyer. The ones that understand your early hustle and are willing to partner with you now. The Longer Practice is a legal firm that specializes in working with early-stage startups in Africa. When I started getting involved in the Nigerian startup ecosystem, they were recommended to me as a lawyer that understands startups and investors. Since then, I've used their service and so are many others, including the likes of Flutterwave, Techaba, Printivo, Rayfruits, Ventures Platform, Lagos Angel Network, and many others. To get free consultation as a listener of this podcast, fill out a form on podcast.thelongerpractice.com and one of the lawyers will get in touch with you. That is podcast.thelongerpractice.com. You can also find a link in this podcast show notes. Let me tell you about Accountier. No matter the stage of your business, your success is dependent on how much you understand your finance. Accountier is a ridiculously simple online accounting platform specifically designed for small and medium-scale businesses in Africa. It is neat, easy to use, and simple. With a mobile app, you can also use it offline. Accountier simplifies your financial report, help you to create invoices, track your expenses, and avoid overpaying taxes. Here's the best thing. Accountier is integrated to local payment solutions such as Paystack in Nigeria and DusuPay in Uganda, Ghana, Rwanda, Kenya, and Tanzania. Go to accountier.com forward slash Dotson and sign up to use it for free. There's an exclusive offer to the listeners of this podcast. You get 75% off your first year subscription when you sign up for a premium account. Go to accountier.com forward slash Dotson. That is A-C-C-O-U-N-T-E-E-R.com forward slash dotun and sign up the next african story will be written by africans meet the people using technology innovation and entrepreneurship to craft this new narrative this is building the future podcast with your host dotun coming up today on building the future our model was we would research read papers listen to the news and we'll see spots Interesting. Gaps. And then we'll look for we'll look for an access point and we'll go pitch. And you, you say know. you have this problem. You have this problem that you and don't know. Technology can solve I it. I can solve it for you. And they'll say, okay, prove it to me and we'll do a demo. Or we'll take time to go do a demo and we'll come show them. So you build um, this is interesting. You build an MVP yeah. for an existing problem. Yes. Kola, you're welcome to this chat. Yeah, Doctor, thanks for thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have this chat. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. So let me start with what is your story? How, I know you 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 do a lot of uh, traditional tech yep. business that is not like startup. Yep. You you make money from that kind of traditional tech business. Correct. I would like to see what is your story from grad school to coming to Nigeria and starting that and then coming to doing startup. All right, cool. I'll tell you the short version. So basically, um, I studied electrical engineering. Uh, not out of choice, out of um, the typical Nigerian father wanting their kids to uh, be overachievers. Uh, so I, you know, crammed a four-year degree into three years and got out of school. Um, Which school was that? I went to a HBCU called uh, Savannah State uh, in a small, quaint town called Savannah, Georgia. 
so Georgia in the south. Georgia in the south okay. of America. Okay, yes, in the U.S. Um, I actually got admission to Futa Kure, but my my mom and I planned a coup, and you know she, my great mom, I mean she put money together. I wrote the SATs, and by the time I got the admission, we just showed my dad, and he had no choice. He had to pony up money for the ticket. He wanted me to go. To he wanted me. He didn't want me to travel abroad. So, and, and part of the story is my my dad is an entrepreneur, and all through my younger years, he would I learned the ethic of hard work from him. He would take me to the office on Saturday, uh, right after ch- church on Sunday. We'll go to the office together. I mean, he was a hardworking guy. So his dream was that his son would one day take over the business. Is he an engineer? No, he's not. He's an economist, but he ran one of the largest printing businesses in Nigeria and the north for many years. Uh, retired now, and the business is shut down, which is part of my story. Um, but yeah, so so anyway, so studied engineering. So you grew up in an, in an entrepreneurial environment where you see your dad working hard and you see the result of his work and, for, and the fulfillment that he has from working. Dude, I my house was an well, my house was an enterprise. My my mom <laughs> sold everything from fabric to shoes. My dad was, I mean, my dad was a serial entrepreneur in the classic sense. You know, after his early career at Northern Breweries back then, did everything from agriculture to to producing uh, juice and yogurt. He uh, then went into publishing, wow. had a finance house. I mean, he, he would go from business to business. Let's talk about that bit. You growing up in a, in a house where you see your dad coming up with ideas, yeah. prospecting it, and yeah. talking about how great this could be and yeah. the hope and some of them dashed and some of them worked okay. how impactful was that for you growing up seeing that you know I, I would say extremely impactful uh, but the funny thing is I didn't realize how much it shaped me until um, a few years ago two years ago when my dad wrote a book an autobiography of himself and he asked me to contribute uh, an introduction and I was thinking what will I say and then it hit me that my experiences were clearly shaped by the things I learned from my dad. And I'll, and I'll distill it to two things. The first is grit. My, my dad is an extremely gritty guy. I mean, he just never gives up, you know, never gave up. And I think most people that know me would say that that's probably one of things that they uh, notice about. I don't give up. I, I'm a forever optimist. Uh, the second thing I picked from him was the ability to take risks. And, and and make big experiments, big bets, you know. And I think that's one of the things that has also defined my entrepreneurial uh, career so far: the ability to take a, a step of faith, not wait for clarity before you move forward. So those are two things that I believe I learned from him. At the time I was learning them, I didn't enjoy them. I didn't think that I needed to learn those things, but I see those things sort of take expression in the. Well, was there a time that you have you experienced maybe a bit of financial insecurity in the house? You think this business might not work. My dad is an entrepreneur as well. So many times when he's doing business, we knew that if it doesn't work, we are, we're going to be hungry. And there's always that fear factor. There were plenty times. So, I mean, I mean, I grew up in a house that, you know, there were boom times and there were bust times. So we knew what it was like for our parents not to have any money. I mean, we were fortunate, but because it was, it was, it was not, there was no fixed salary. We knew what it was like to be up and to be down. And that's something that I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. Now, interestingly, in my entrepreneurial journey so far, I've also had that that experience. And I think it's part of what makes entrepreneurship such an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, even though it's a lot different these days with all the funding and startups and all of that, but also just the joy and pains of bootstrapping. Mm-hmm. I learned that very early, uh, you know, because I saw my dad bootstrap all his businesses. Yeah, at some point he would leverage credit, but for the most part he, he bootstrapped all the way and I learned that from him as well. Obviously you followed the path that most smart kids in Nigeria go to, mm-hmm. which is study engineering, yeah. study to be a doctor, a lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. And even though your dad is an entrepreneur, was there any conscious effort to say, okay, you're going to be studying this, but you're going to end up having a business? Or was it go and become an engineer so that you can work in mobile and work in Chevron or something like that? So I think because of the experience that he had, the uncertainty associated with entrepreneurship, his desire for me was he wanted me to have an insurance. He, I knew all along that he wanted me to come help run the business eventually, but getting an engineering degree for him was sort of like 
like in case in case this business thing doesn't work you would at least have something to fall back to and he would always say that you know but I, I studied engineering very reluctantly I wasn't happy with it I eventually went and did an MBA and focused in finance which was more aligned with my desire to you know do something in, in, in finance and business you know I actually wanted to do M&A's that was my dream uh, but as I say destiny sort of t- took a different path I spent some time in corporate finance working in the US um, uh, and did a couple other things uh, eventually though um, it got to the point where he wanted to retire and, and you were in the US then? I was in the US. So I, when you finished your degree in the US, you, yep. you decided to stay around and yep. work for some time rather yep. than come back home direct, yes. um, immediately? Yes. So uh, all through school, I, I had the business. I had a graphic design business. So I'm, a, I'm actually a, graf- a, a graphic designer. self I can see your office is full of art. Yes. Uh, that's, that sort of drove my, my love for the arts. And oh, so while you were in the, in the university, in the college, yes. you were drawing and and, and making money from your well, art. doing graphic design. So I was designing brochures, design posters. I was, I mean, I, I literally became the, the graphic designer for my university. You know, I would do a lot of the design work, and I was, I, I was making a lot of money doing it. Wow. You know, um, I, I forget to say. I mean, so I'd always done had side hustles through, yeah. throughout uh, my younger years. That, in conjunction with the scholarships I had. And the and the money, the little bit of money my parents would send me, I mean, meant I was flush with cash as a student, you know. And so I finished and um, I worked in a lab as an engineer for a short time, the worst period of my life. Working uh, in a lab, working <laughs> as... To do what you were qualified what to I do. What I was qualified to do, yes. <laughs> but what I, what I didn't Same enjoy story doing, here. Yeah. I had a bit of issue after I finished my PhD <laughs> and working as a research fellow. So it's like you've trained all this world to get to this place and it wasn't a dream job. It you, was so boring and you, I just hated it. And everyone felt I should be happy because, you know, my, my, I did well in school, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. So I then went and I, I went in for an MBA uh, because I needed to change course. Yeah. Uh, did you do your MBA? I did my MBA at uh, Bowling Green State in Ohio. Uh, I think Bowling get, Green, yeah. Bowling Green massacre. Bowling Green, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. It's uh, unfortunately we're famous for a few things, <laughs> including beer pong and and, and whatnot. Uh, but it was, it was sort of a different experience for me because I mean I didn't get to go to an Ivy League at least in my formal education. But you know, moving uh, going from Savannah State, which was a historically black college and university, and I we get called on every time to answer all the questions in Africa because they felt I should know uh, to Bowling Green which was a predominantly Caucasian environment was really interesting but you know I did my MBA specialized in finance uh, and really that started to that set me on the course of what I currently do mm-hmm. I would say that the engineering background also helped with being very analytical because yeah. you're able to think you know in the scientific way you mm-hmm. know uh, you know hypotheses and mm-hmm. theories and all of that good stuff but you know after that going into corporate finance and started a career as a financial analyst and then I sort of decided I sort of it became clear to me that I wanted to end up on Wall Street doing M&A's and so I thought you know what I would after a few years I would go and do a degree in corporate law so you wanted I, to work in Wall Street yes that was that's my dream that was a dream yeah, that's my dream an M&A yeah so I I then um I applied to go to I'm so I'm a bit of, bit of bookworm. I applied to go to uh, law school, uh, going to Georgetown. And just as I was prepping to, to go move to uh, Georgetown, my Georgetown dad, in Washington. Yes, my dad calls me one day and goes, ah, "My son, I need you to come back and help me run this business because I I can't do it anymore." You know, I'm very close to my parents. You know, and the business was printing business. It was a printing, and it was a very good business. It was a successful business. Uh, it was a huge business. At, at the climax, he had uh, about 130 employees. Wow. It was massive, um, but I didn't. It wasn't I didn't like it. You know, uh, it wasn't what I. It wasn't sophisticated. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't a knowledge business. And because you're familiar with it, it wasn't something that it I wasn't had. what I wanted to do. Even though it, it supported the family, but because you know I, I've always been this obedient son, so I thought you know what I'll come and check it out. So I I stopped my plans to move. Uh, I literally I no no I packed all my stuff and came back. You know I mean just abrupt. So I'm, I'm I've always been very dynamic. I can take a decision in a split second and move again. So, so that was before I you get married. Picked, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, of course. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> Those change things, yeah. So I moved back and got into doing that. Uh, I'll just say it didn't work very well. Right. Um, and why was that? Uh, Even well, there was a successful business with liquidity and with all the comfort or the um, or the safety that we provide. Yeah. Again, it stems from it wasn't what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. um, and I'm I'm not your typical uh, young person that just wants to make money. I mean, I mm-hmm. had a good salary, I had all the perks, I had a car, I had I had everything. I came in, you know, I got a I got a manager role. Um, finance because I had you know finance background finance and strategy it was a big role you know I had the car I had the driver but it wasn't what I wanted to do uh, and then I tried to change the business I tried to that was what I was about to ask how fast were you trying to change the business I think a bit too fast in, in retrospect yes. I, I came in with this uh, American mentality oh printing week. I actually wanted to set up what I called so the business was called the regent and I wanted to set up the, the regent plus the pluses several small print shops. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's why I'm amazed when I see what uh, Printivo is doing. Yeah. You know, I wanted to set up several Kinko's kiosks Everywhere. around the country. That was my dream, you know, and automation. And the old man was telling me, my son, slow down, you know, and, <laughs> and we kept we kept clashing. Yeah. After about a year and a half, things uh, hit, hit, the head, hit the head or whatever you call it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had to decide, I had to choose between keeping my family together and uh, running, uh, walking in the family business. Wow. And so, because, I mean, we, we just couldn't get along, you know. Um, and so I decided to... To, um, to resign. To resign. How hard was that? Very hard. I mean, because I, I mean, you can imagine someone that worked so hard to build a business and then you have your first son come back with... It's always build the business with you in mind. Apparently, without telling me. You know, I didn't know. And that's the whole thing about succession planning that I have really learned. I mean, the biggest takeaways for me were succession planning must be deliberate. Mm-hmm. Number two is I would never build a business again around my family. I would build a business in terms of ownership and all of that. Yeah, you can you, have your, you can maintain ownership. But really, it shouldn't be about your kids taking over. I, I don't think so. I think that our family members can benefit from our from what we build, but they don't necessarily have to, uh, especially if they're not cut out for it. I mean, Does it have to do with some certain type of businesses? Because there's been some successful stories of business that have been in a family for yeah. generations and generations. And there has been a lot of data that shows that that is the way for you to kill your business because the person that's supposed to run the business is not, supposed, is not qualified just because of the DNA. Yes. But based on the fact that they can run a business. I, I completely agree. I think it has to be about the best person for the job, mm-hmm. you know. And But uh, in, in Africa, a lot of the data will point to the fact that that's really not the criteria. People just get sentimental and they want their kids. They sort of, it's this control thing. They want to keep it within the band. And it's also a trust thing as well. I think that was one of the issues um, in, in this case. You know, just felt it couldn't trust anyone. And do you think the startup model, which yeah. is basically, I have an idea, I have a business idea, and I want to run it, and immediately you're thinking about getting investment. Yeah. It means that you are ceding control immediately yeah. from day one. Yeah. You, you, you land the idea, uh, you, you accept the father. If you get money from some, for someone you're sitting control so you cannot hand the business over to your children or family you are now responsible to external investors that Correct. are not related to you Correct. and do you think that will change because the new generation of the kind of business that we're going to have the technical businesses will be the ones that are run by professionals mm-hmm. and responsibility and, and accountability is huge yeah so, so so this phenomena is not just in the tech industry I mean I'm seeing uh, I mean I get inbounds of people trying to do plantain chips people trying to set up uh, vet, vet, veterinary hospitals, all looking for leverage, looking to raise investment. So I think this generation of entrepreneurs are going to change that paradigm. And I think that that's, that's, that's amazing. It's fantastic. I mean, if you look back to the generation before us or the one before before the one before us you, you can't point to a lot of trans uh, generational businesses and I think it's because of this uh, the models were not really sustainable uh, so I think the startup phenomena of raising, uh, raising equity raising investment through equity or debt would really help in sort of changing that paradigm mm-hmm. and, I, and I think Africa 
can start to see a bit more sustainability in terms of the businesses. The other side to it also is corporate governance because this is something that even a lot of the startups and companies that are being formed, even though they raise investment, the corporate governance is kind of weak. So this is an area that I believe uh, we need to see more subject matter expertise, teaching people and intervening uh, around. I mean, uh, and something we take very seriously at uh, our ventures with the companies we support. Um, I've seen how these things can sort of uh, stifle the growth of a business. Yeah. Um, yeah, So So tell me about how you got started with Imagine Platform. So you lectured that business. Great. You resign. Obviously, you have you now have Nigerian experience. Yes, and you have choices. You want to you can go back to the state and continue your. So work. that's what that's what actually what I did. Oh, you did. So, that. I, so, ah. <laughs> so I was so frustrated. I I, I disliked Nigeria uh, vehemently. I opted to. I just got married, freshly minted. I opted to go back and again go back to school. That was my that was my decision. I decided I was going to go do a PhD. I took the GMAT, scored a 720. You know, I was I was feeling like bad guy that uh, they would beg me to come in come in if you know what the, if you know what the 720 is on the GMAT yeah. so I went back you know settled uh, by the way I'd already started another business at the time leveraging the press I started something called Abuja Top 25 which was a, a lifestyle directory sort of like a timeout. Mm-hmm. And just before I left, I got I got offers to so actually someone from Time Out reached out. Uh, wow. And Time Out in the UK. Time Out, Time Out, yeah. And uh, but I we opt, I opted to sell the business to uh, someone I wouldn't mention, a local Nigerian, and sold the business. So you started a business like a time online. It was it was print actually. It was print. It was print. Top twenty five oh, places yes. you can go to in Abuja. Yes, we, we and you're printing and it was successful. It was, was it profitable? It was, I think we were very profitable. So I I mean I all the hotels and clubs wanted to be my best friend because if we wrote a rating about a review, people would literally I mean it took off, people would either go or not go, we had stands, so we had distribution model we had kiosks yeah. at about five locations in Abuja and you could go pick and it it's up, free. it was free but you know, people pay to advertise people in it, people pay to advertise people pay to list, I wonder why nobody's doing a lot of that in Lagos and yeah so so ever since we started Top 25 and if you ask anyone in Abuja they, that's out and about, they would know about us and you're uh, always curating, curating top 25. Top 25. It was always... So the top 25 piece was sort of the main piece of every edition. But there were other stories. Yeah. We'll have a, we had a cover girl, you know, model that would be on it. The top 20... The, 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 the top 25 uh, girl of the month or something. Wow. It, was, it was cheesy. Wow. But, but it was successful. Look, sold the business for north of 20 million, actually, at the time. Wow. Uh, yes, Naira, wow. at the time. Um, for young entrepreneurs. No, it was it was my first exit. That so was good, say. yeah. Because a few people actually exit business; yeah. they want to keep it. But you yeah. have a go. You just tested something. Yeah, yeah. You grew it yeah. fast, and you sold it. Yes, and I, I. By the way, I was the editor. I was the publisher. I was. I was everything. It was a small That's team. Great. Yeah, it was a small so, team of like two, three people. No, what, um, what year was this? This was two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. Uh, so sold the business and moved um, moved back to the US, uh, got a place and started, you know, working on my PhD, getting to grad school. As God would have it, you know, and I think there's also a big God factor in everything that we do. I firmly believe that. I got into every other school I applied to but Harvard. And because I'm, again, I'm a perfectionist, I want to do things a certain way. You want to go to Harvard? I wanted to go to Harvard. I mean, I, for me, it was like, I'm going to go back and get that Ivy League education, you know. <laughs> and I, I didn't get in, you know. I was I was bitter, you know. So I... Every I, one is irrelevant. Every, it, was, Harvard. it was it was going to be, it was Harvard or nothing, you know. Um, in retrospect now, it was so silly. I mean, <laughs> apparently in retrospect, I wasn't meant to be in school, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so anyway, but, but that experience was fundamental because it got me to I read a lot of books a lot of good books at the time uh, one of the most fundamental books I read is a book by Rick Warren and this is a some people say it's a Christian book called up it's called the purpose driven yeah. life and that book really changed my life you know because uh, I had six seven months where I was just at home with my wife and my new baby and I had runway as they say for I think about eight months I just left this bad experience where were you there I was in Georgia? Maryland Maryland. I was in Maryland, yeah. Um, and I, I, I was very bitter about not getting to Harvard. And so I, I started asking the question, so what is my purpose? What am I, what am I here for? The end, the end result of all of that was 
I decided to start a new business, uh, a new tech business. And um, because I did not write any code or anything, I started looking for a co-founder. I started looking for someone that also wanted to start a business. Do you have an idea that you're, you're honing on? Or just I want to start a tech business. I know how to run a business. I know how to get customers. I know how to validate. I've mm. sold a business before. Mm. Whatever idea comes in that we can do, that's fine. Or this is the idea I have, and I want to get a co-founder to join me. So but the idea then was I just wanted to build mobile apps and build okay. build web platforms, you know, and uh, I mean, I knew I, I, I kept in touch with Nigeria. I knew things were happening. Uh, I, I felt also that with Top 25, if we had built a very robust web platform that, you know, we probably would have taken off and been, uh, had more scale. So, uh, I just knew that it was a niche that could be filled. Uh, right around that time, there were, there were elections in Nigeria and just got this idea that we should build a mobile app for the elections and, and that turned out to be the first thing that we ever did. Uh, we built a mobile, we built a mobile app for one of the candidates. Uh, but anyway, met my co-founder. Uh, he was a software engineer in the DMV area, and we got together that day and decided, look, we're going to start a tech company. And he he was a follower of PayPal, mm-hmm. uh, so we had this idea of starting a company that would be a platform for young people mm-hmm. to be successful. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to, and I think this is one of the luckiest things for us. We wanted to build a company that would be a platform a platform for people to achieve their dreams. That's, mm-hmm. that, that was our simplistic view. And so we called the company Emerging Platforms. Uh, not platform, but platforms. Mm-hmm. Because we said there will be several platforms, you know, and people will be able to build their dreams upon these platforms. And it's tech-based. It was going to be but tech-based. But people that work with you will be able to go on and, and do other things. Or like PayPal Mafia. Yeah. Kind of. that, was our, that was our whole uh, thesis, you know. Uh, and, and then we'll breath other platforms and send people to go run them and people uh, people have equity. You know, we had all these bright ideas. Was that before... Um the rocket internet was taken off in Lagos. Yes, it was. It was. Oh, so. This were early days. This was right. uh, this before was, rocket internet. Yes, it's, this was two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten ish. Uh, anyway, so we started, sat at my sister's apartment, uh, did the logo that same night, registered the company in the U.S. In the U.S.? Yeah, and also then registered it um, here. But, uh, you know... And you plan to come back? I plan to come back. So What about your co-founder? The decision was I will come back and he would stay, mm-hmm. you know, because he I mean, was the chief, he was the engineer. So, uh, so anyway, I came back and I, I had to eat humble pie because I'd run out of money. I had to go back and... I spent my first, I think, three weeks or four weeks in Gashali at, at, at my family home. And it was in, one of, in Abuja? In Abuja. Your, your family lived, you my, grew up in Abuja? I grew up in Kaduna, but my family had moved to Abuja. Okay. Uh, and this is one of the most humbling things in the world, you know. And I think humility is also very key, something I learned. Of course, the time away had taught me many lessons. Uh, you know, so I came back and. With your family? With, 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 my, with, my, with my family, with my cool. wife and my daughter. And. Um, I moved to this one bedroom thing, this box, and, and you know, I set out, I start, set out trying to, to look for business, you know. Um, uh, then I, the challenge was office space. Uh, I had some friends who had moved back from the US as well. They had a huge office, uh, and went to meet them and, and they, they gave me like one third of their office space. We used board to demarcate it and set it up nice with our wallpaper. I mean, we, the one thing is we set up the office like we were a million dollar business. We had, <laughs> we had ex- phone extension. So if you call, hold on, we'll transfer your call. <laughs> I had, I have, to, I have to confess, I had three emails. So someone would send an email, and you and reply. Say, my, yeah. my colleague would you reply to you, and then you see, see and she's saying my colleague, and it's the, you would be calling, I'm the assistant. <laughs> so, so I think it was just me, and Chuka was in the US, and I had uh, I got some guy to come in and help as a as a PA, I know as a secretary or something. No, no, no. I think he, was, he didn't have a title. It was just. And, and what was the product you were selling or services yeah. to you? So, so. So the first thing we tried to do was we, 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 we shopped around to see if we can build mobile apps for some of the candidates that were going to run for elect, elective office, actually the presidential candidates. Right. Uh, and then we were also looking to build websites for SMEs, okay. you know, uh, back then. And so anyway, uh, so 
we did that and we were very fortunate. We got a few people that would experiment with us. Wow. Um, is uh, that how he, okay, so this is where you get your customers, right? Okay. Walk me through that process. Did you start calling hold contact or you, like your dad knew some people or you have uncles that know this candidate? How did you get in through the door? Because that's very important. So, so, so for me, getting into the door was uh, POC, uh, the the, the POC approach, the proof of concept. So no one would believe me. Um, I, I, mind you, I, I sort of wasn't going to go to my dad to ask for too much help because mm-hmm. I had I had been a prodigal, prodigal son. Mm-hmm. At this time, by the way, uh, my exit had meant that the business eventually closed down. You know, wow. eventually. Uh, so when I, he couldn't get a, he couldn't get a trusted. He didn't have a transition plan, so I was a bad. I was viewed as almost like an evil <laughs> little thing. You know, he, even though he had forgiven me at the time, he had gotten over it. I won't say forgiven because I don't think I did anything wrong. You know. Um, so I needed to prove that I was onto something, you know, so I would go around and would offer to solve people's problems for free, would offer to, okay, don't believe we can do it, we'll build, we'll build you the website, we'll build the, we'll build the app, and if you like it, you can pay, hmm. you know, uh, uh, would offer to would offer to offer would offer to offer advice mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, would do a lot of unconventional things to get people to believe in us because we we bootstrapped you know i didn't know all this startup and because it wasn't a traditional startup it wasn't like we had a product mm-hmm. we wanted we wanted to be a solutions company yes you know and you know being a solutions company is very difficult from mm-hmm. the, in the beginning because mm-hmm. uh, it's not like you have a ready product you're mm-hmm. trying to and sell providing a service uh, exactly Walk me to the first person that you got. So you went to this presidential candidate. Yeah. Oh, I can build your hub for you. This yes. is what it's going to do. X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Uh, you don't have to pay me. I'm going to build it for you. And pay me later. So, so the first, uh, the first. I'll just walk you through the first meeting. Yeah. So I remember the first meeting. Um, we built the demo. We had built the products already. We went ahead and built the app, and uh, oh, a demo of it, and. I I think a friend was able to get me a meeting and we had a meeting for 12 noon. It was just me, of course, my partner was still in the US and uh, we got I got there at 11 for a 12 o'clock meeting. Uh, 12 came, no one called me. I was still very American, you know. I was like, I've got a 12 o'clock meeting. They're like, I have to sit down and wait now. <laughs> you know, people kept coming in and going out and I think around 9 p.m. What? 9 p.m. From 12 to yeah, 9? 12. Was this a, a big shot politician? It was a big shot politician um, uh, at 9 p.m. someone walked out uh, the person I was supposed to see walked in I said ah young man you're still here yeah, very serious. So, said, I'm very serious. So, we need this. We need this break. You know, we really need this break. So, okay, well done. So, I think around 10:30 or so, they called me in. In the evening. Evening, yes, yes. And this is, uh, so this was in a path of luxury. It was hard work. It wasn't like I got a, We got a note and they just opened the door. <laughs> we busted in, man. Uh, I think eventually they 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 called us in. Uh, I, by the way, I had my assistant guy with me yeah. then, the intern guy. He was everything. He was, he did, he was, he was everything. The guy had all the jobs in the world. And so we got in and I started presenting. And it was like, wow. Presenting orally, just all showing him stuff. We had, we had the deck, we had the, we had the screenshots of the app, yeah. and we had the app on the device that we're passing around, the mobile app. And the, to him and his aides. Yes. Uh, and the face just lit up. Like, wow, this is what we needed. This is what we've been looking for, you know. Uh, we needed a way to connect to the youth and blah, 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 blah. And they got excited about it. But they're like, look, how do we believe this can work? You know, like, look, we'll build it. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll build it. No, Wahala would would use bulk SMS to send it to, we'll start with just the people in the campaign. And if they like it, if they say it's good, then you can pay us, you know, and all that stuff. Anyway, cut the long story short, that was our first break. Um, and I think it was, we, that break was possible because there were, we were tenacious. We didn't give up. Uh, by the way, that first meeting was not just the first meeting. That was the, that was several meetings, other meetings that, but that was just the day the meeting happened. Yeah. Because uh, yeah, we were there uh, several times. We, I mean, happen. I mean, it didn't happen. And then the what day it finally happened, waited almost the whole entire day. The second bit was, you know, we, we were willing to do a proof of concept and we, we, weren't, we weren't looking for someone to pay us some money and then, we would, you know, so, so, so that helped as well. And I think from that one, 
uh, episode, we were able to, people trusted us and we were able to get referrals naturally. And the business naturally grew uh, via referrals. And was that uh, campaign successful? It was Yes, that campaign was successful. Uh, it's, it was for one of the presidential, one of our past presidents. Right. Uh, I'm sure you can figure. <laughs> uh, it was successful. Think waiting to see the president. So, no, so, so that meeting was wasn't actually, president, wasn't, it, was it was candidate. the campaign, it was the campaign manager, the campaign, manager, or part wow. the campaign team. Wow. Um, anyway, so, so, the, the, he won the elections. Uh, I'm not sure if the app was what made him win. Uh, uh, but being part of a success story uh, gave you open doors to other stuff. He immediately gave us open doors. I mean, we're, we're able to, we were trusted. We were, and people knew we could deliver. We also did, eventually now did, uh, an election monitoring platform that they were able to use to do remote um, um, reporting of results. Uh, and incidents mapping and things like that. And was that what got you into the government tech? That, that, that was what got us into government tech. Now, and I must say that we didn't know, we, we didn't set out to say we we're going to serve governments. Mm-hmm. We wanted to just do tech, but you know there was there was no empirical study of the market. Mm-hmm. We didn't we, we didn't we didn't realize that if you wanted to do tech for businesses, go to Lagos. Mm-hmm. We just came. We mm-hmm. just came in. So it happened that um, we we later learned, <laughs> like we should have known, that Abuja was all mostly government. Yeah. Uh, and I think your story is very similar to a lot of successful startup yeah. stories, which is you don't start with a blueprint and say this is what we're going to be. You start with a question. Yeah. Can, can we solve X, Y, and Z Problems, co- yeah. problem? Yeah. That's, your idea is a question. Yeah. Because if it's a question, mm. it doesn't matter whether you're right or wrong. Right. As long as the, your answer leads to another idea. Correct. So your original idea, we want to build something tech. Yeah. We want to solve problems using technology. Yeah. And it led to building a tech app for yeah. a presidential candidate yeah. and then see other opportunities that tech can solve. Absolutely. And instead of solving that, absolutely. suddenly you're not in golf tech. Uh, absolutely. So, so for us, it was the first question was, can we make certain in government processes more efficient. I mean, the simple question for the app was, can we help bridge the gap of the candidates communicating with the potential voters? Mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, I think the, the whole election monitoring thing, we were, we were in the room one day, uh, again, giving a report on the progress with the app, and we overhead, I, I overhead a question around how it's always a nightmare for people to call, for them to be calling all the uh, all the agents at the different polling stations. I would say, ah, we can solve this problem for you. Ah, we can, you know. And I'll never forget that when we built that thing, we hacked it, man. The the <laughs> the servers we use BlackBerry phones as the servers, as the as the SMS gateway. Uh, literally, like yeah. the, the, the there was some third-party app that we that we installed. So, so where are your servers? Our servers they're somewhere, but we had batteries connected to like four or five BlackBerry phones <laughs> in some backpack. I mean, with thousands of messages streaming in. No, you know, and it was successful. It, was, I mean, it wasn't a scalable. Uh, so that's that sounds to me like you know you know the story of Big Gate when. How I started Microsoft yeah. that yeah. he just said I'm gonna solve that problem. He doesn't he had no clue how to solve it. Yeah. But he knew it can be solved yeah. and he went out and tried to then build it. Yep. And yep. he always said that always just say yes to a problem that can be solved. Correct. Can figure that so out. that was our attitude. I mean it was wow. yes was always the answer. Can you do it? Yes we can do it and we'll go we'll go backwards and figure obviously over time uh we standardized these things into products and sort of and sort of practice areas. So I mean eventually we, we then went into education and so we've got an edtech practice we built we built a uh, an, an LMS that's sort of suited to the Nigerian uh, university environment mm-hmm. you know and so so over time things got a bit more deliberate yeah you know and but you, you productized, we productized some of your services. Uh, we so but initially you started a service it was it was purely so service and responsive talk initially. me through how you then started productizing it yeah and because I'm interested in how that changed your business model yeah well, uh, so, so, so first of all, uh, the two things happened. The first thing that happened was we were, so initially we were just a contracting, a service contracting business. Uh, and then I got uncomfortable because that model was not very predictable. Uh, I mean, you, you were completely dependent on, on government, the government budgetary cycle or your customers' budgets. Uh, and so we quickly said, you know what, we want to do two things. We want to build 
products and maybe have a fee-based model. So we're not, you don't have to pay us upfront, but pay us per user or per usage or whatever the case may be. So that our first big experiment in doing that was um, uh, to build uh, our land management system. And then we now bundled services around that. So we'd, we'll work with your lecturers to develop content. We'll provide a support center. And it was a bundled... And for universities. For universities, bundled offering. How, again, we don't have to go deep into how easy or hard is it to just sell yeah. to university because there's a lot of bureaucracy. Uh, extremely difficult. So I'll tell you, our first big, um, our first big accounts, we, we were... We presented to the Senate of the University about six times. And this was a span of a year and a half. I mean, they would throw you tough questions. I can't walk. We've done this before, you know, so extremely difficult. Obviously, as well, I mean, when, when, whenever you're working in the public sector space, it's also very difficult navigating without getting your hands murky, you know. And so sometimes that means that you're, you, you might move slower mm-hmm. than the person who's just prepared to sort of do whatever. Uh, and so we're talking about a corruption factor here. Yeah, yeah. It's not based on merit, but how how good and how. Much so even when even when you people. merit it, mm-hmm. they, those roadblocks will still show up. Mm-hmm. You know, so truth of matters, a lot of times, I mean, at least in my experience, merit is always there. But merit or no merit, roadblocks will show up. Mm-hmm. You know, and so um, that's something that I think very important to have. As an entrepreneur in this in Nigeria, and not just whether you're doing golf tech or doing whatever, a moral compass and uh, clarity as to what you what you stand for mm-hmm. is very important to have early on. But to go back to your question, so the first thing for us was how can we make our revenues more predictable, and so we decided to say, look, we would would build products and would move from a contracting model to a fee-based model. The second epiphany for us was we found that a lot of our customers wanted the same solutions. So mm-hmm. for instance, we built a if we if we deployed a say a system for document management for instance, well 20 other agencies also need that. Or if we developed an M&E system <laughs> for, because we then started working for development agencies and NGOs as well. Mm-hmm. So if I build an M&E system. What's M&E? Uh, monitoring Ma- evaluation monitoring system evaluation. for agency XYZ. Well, uh, agency YZX also needs that. So and it's the same process. The same process. It's just you. There might be some customizations, yeah. but your lead time uh, is, is is shorter. So one of the early mistakes we made in product development was we would build, we'll hyper customize for every customer, and it, and the and the platforms were not very scalable. But the moment we learned that from day one, we we knew we were building a platform mm-hmm. that would that would then that would need to serve several customers. And, so and we, that mistake you made was is always that yeah. if you're moving from consulting yep. to Correct. a product Correct. company. Correct. Anyway, so so I mean it's it's a natural cycle, mm-hmm. but but being able to recognize that, figure that early quickly. Yeah. really helped us grow as an organization because uh, we, we can be more cost efficient, uh, we can be more time efficient. So your first client would pay for you to develop a product yeah. that you can then resell to yes. other clients. There, there you go, there you go. So does that uh, mean you were, you were profitable from day one? Kind of, yes. Or from year one. We, oh yes, we were profitable from year one because again, and one of the beautiful things about uh, uh, being a solution-based, starting off as a solution-based tech company, mm-hmm. is your input requirements are very low. I mean, what you basically need is a chance and and and, and your head screwed on right. Mm-hmm. Someone willing to give you a chance. As long as you're not doing a lot of hardware-heavy things. Mm-hmm. And from day one, we were always sort of a cloud-focused company. So we 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 convinced our customers to do. To, to to go to go cloud very early, mm-hmm. uh, hosting things remotely. Mm-hmm. Of course, when we started doing stuff in security, our customers wanted stuff on presence. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, so yes. Um, so, so briefly, because I want to spend the last session on venture imagine, platform. Yeah. But at the moment, imagine platform. How close are you to your original vision? And what, what sort of product have we got now? Great. Uh, Great. So, so, so I'll, I'll answer the second question. So in terms of product and focus areas, so our business is primarily focused at the moment in three core areas. The first is education. So we've got an ed tech practice where we are serving um, at the moment anywhere between uh, 150 and 250,000 students 
on our platforms for at different universities. Serving them with that. Learning so distance learning primarily. So universities that want to be teaching students remotely. Remotely, yes. Yeah. So both the platform, the content, supporting the academics, and also providing user support remotely. Uh, so that's one uh, area of our business. The second area of our business is in security. So we work, uh, provide a lot of core uh, information management systems for uh, some of the critical security agencies. So they're using your platform or using some of your products using our, using for, our for their information services. For, for their information management mm-hmm. and also some of, the, some of the processes we've been able to automate and we support those things uh, as well. Uh, so these are high fee paying clients. They, are, are they on software as a service model or they are like line science model where they pay per so, year? So it's a mixed bag. Uh, so in our education business, uh, it's a fee based uh, uh, SaaS type uh, business model where we're doing the investments early on and then uh, we're doing a, a small fee per user. Uh, on an ongoing basis. In some cases, there's an, up, there's an upfront commitment uh, and we, we do an annual support and license renewal. So that's primarily our model. That's, our, that's what we like. We're not big on big lump sums, contract type things because you get caught up in all these budgetary cycles yeah. and that model is more prone to all the all the dirty stuff right. that happens yeah. because then you have to go from table to table. Because it's a lot of money, but if right. it is just yeah. paying a recurring fee, yeah, recurring. it just becomes like a recurring Yeah, and it's, and it's more sustainable. Yeah. And it's not... And it's predictable for you. Exactly. So you've mentioned three true core areas. Yes. Ed tech, security, what's the Yes, problem? and the last area is where we still do a bit of customization. That's around building... Uh, different types of ERPs for organizations. So, so, so whether it's, and we have different streams. So whether it's an M&E platform mm-hmm. for NGOs and development partners, mm-hmm. or whether we're building um, uh, something for to track pilgrims, for instance. Last year, for instance, we we so this was a bit of our software and hardware mm-hmm. play. We built. Uh, deploy the platform for using uh, GPS response to mm-hmm. track Hajj pilgrims. Because there's a problem with because people of getting the, lost. the people getting lost and people actually dying at the last uh, two years ago. And so we deployed a situation room in Medina in Saudi Arabia and also one here where you can literally track each pilgrim. Wow. Uh, and they had a SOS button that they can push to sort of dial the control room. So, so things like that. And, and this comes, so some of the product that you build, I'm interested in that ERP because that sounds like a tech. Yeah. Um, so, uh, startup tech yeah. problem solving. Yeah. Okay. The government says, we have a problem here. Yeah. Can you solve it for us? Yeah. Or you just say, you have a problem, we can solve it for you. How does it work? Is so, it push or pull? So it was originally pull. We used to do a lot of, we, we would actually, actually our, our model was we would research, read papers, listen to the news, and we'll see spots. Interesting. Gaps, and then we'll look, for, we'll look for an access point and we'll go pitch. And you, you say, know. you have this problem. You have this problem that you don't know. And technology can solve I it. I can solve it for you. And they'll say, okay, prove it to me and we'll do a demo. Or we'll take time to go do a demo and we'll come show them. So you build, um, this is interesting. You build an MVP yeah. for an existing problem. Yes. So you, you, because you have a customer that can yeah. buy. It's okay. You have a problem. We can solve that for you. Yeah. And then you go there and say, this is it. This so basically, we, we, we build this company that has several startups within the company, essentially. That's what it is. So we, we identify pain points, and we build an MVP to solve the pain points, and we then we then try to communicate and sell that MVP to the customer, and then we productize it. So our model now became once those things are scalable and we have a customer, paying customer around, and we think it's replicable, we then would spin it off to a new company. And so this was our whole idea of having platforms. Uh, But then uh, two years ago, we realized that to fulfill our vision, our earlier vision of having platforms, there probably was a more appropriate model and we came about wanting to do an incubator in, initially. And that's how Ventures Platform was born. Uh, because already on the sidelines of running EP, I had started to personally uh, invest small amounts of money in startups. And some of them were successful. Uh, most of them were not successful. And so combining that with the original vision of mm-hmm. emerging platforms, it, it sort of made sense that if we can build uh, a framework to support companies, we could probably 
then be closer to doing what we set out to yeah. do in the first place. And that's our ventures platform. And, and virtual born. platform, you start as an incubator or, an, or, or accelerator? So we called it, uh, we were very careful. So if you notice our, all our early communications, you would always see the word hybrid incubator, hybrid in quotes, because we were not, you know, there's, there's always a debate about this incubator and accelerator thing. You know, uh, for the guys that, our guys that were on a tour in Ghana, uh, they, they had people saying, Acceleration actually comes before incubation. Uh, and then there's also the classic school of thought that we say incubation before acceleration. And so for us, we started out um, with the intent of being a hybrid incubator. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have now evolved that definition to say, look, we're an accelerator. We have now evolved that now. And, and what's the definition of that is that you, you look for businesses that have got an idea, they've maybe proved that they have an MVP, and you said, we're going to give you some money and a space and a little support to help you move it to the next level. Primarily, that's where so, so we invest in founders. We look for founders that sort of check certain boxes that have actually gone out of their brain to start implementing the idea, uh, have a few customers already, uh, paying or not paying, a few customers already, and uh, we're very, you know, and uh, big enough businesses that you know can generate substantial revenue, uh, uh, and that we can help within a space of three months. It's very important that we can help them within a space of three to four months because if we can move the dial in that time, I'll give you an example. For instance, if you're working on some uh, very uh, technical, te- very technical invention, for instance, that requires seven two years of research we can't help you in that time and so we want to be able to move the dial significantly enough that you can then raise the follow-on investment that you need but just to take a step back mm-hmm. uh, so uh, we early on we decided that look ventures platform won't just be about uh, incubation we wanted to create a space we believe that the space in which in which people work influences the outcomes you know, I, I look at some of the environments in which our entrepreneurs have to work in some places, and I'm like, ah, how do you even think? You know, so we really wanted to create uh, a space that was stimulating and comfortable for entrepreneurs to work. Now, the, the other bit, too, is if you, anyone that understands the incubation or acceleration business knows that it's very, this is, this is, this is not the best way to make uh, money quickly. Yeah. Uh, and so we needed to make it sustainable. And so the co-working business that we also run sort of helps. So the co-working business is, is bread and butter that keeps it going. Yes. I mean, that in terms of the operational cost, yeah, mm-hmm. that sort of, uh, it's, it's a thriving co-working space. So, so that, that, that. So I have two questions on this pla- um, venture platform. There is this debate about acceleration says it's not working in Africa. It's not working in most places. Yeah. Uh, there are only few accelerator programs that are successful. Yeah. And it's because they're in the right environment. Yeah. They're in the place where there are lots of investors that will take on those companies. Mm. And there are lots of talents that will support those companies as well. What is your take? Why are you doing this when, there, when this data is showing that a lot of companies that have been incubated in the past in Africa have not been successful? Yes, uh, it's a very good question. Uh, and I would say that we, we are not naive to, to what the data says. Or, you know, but if you take a look at Nigeria, for instance, how many incubators or accelerators have actually, uh, been, have actually been started here? How many of them? Uh, you can count them on your hands. Uh, and when we started, we actually went around and we spoke to some of the people that have been involved in running this uh, incubators, as it were. Most of them only had run one cycle, most of them. Again, I'm an optimist and I, I, I don't mind experimenting. So you think they didn't give it enough time? Uh, we, we think they didn't give it enough time. We think, uh, and so when we, when we set out, we set out to, first of all, not make the mistakes that they made. We, so we wanted to, we said, look, we'll make new mistakes. But we set out very clearly saying, this is an experiment. We don't expect to hit it out of the park in the first cohort. Uh, but I must say that after we just had a demo day, and I think the companies that have come out are fantastic companies. Are going to do very well. And I did go follow on funding. They well, so demo day was mm-hmm. on twenty seventh of mm-hmm. January. Uh, so they all having 
discussions at various levels, and we were up to, were confident that they will close their follow-on funding. So, so, how many in terms of time, or how many cohort do you want to use to, to experiment this? What's your what's your what's your <laughs> what's, what's our bandwidth? Yes. <laughs> well, I, I would say that look, we we have our we 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 have our plans. Uh, we're, we're currently reviewing applications for our next cohort. Um, uh, and we, we, we do not have a plan to shut this down anytime soon. It's good. Uh, we're very happy with the outcomes. So first of all, let's not forget that this, this is about building businesses. When we look at the businesses that have gone through the program, they grew significantly and not just in, uh, freemium type customers, real pain customers. Right. We had seven companies. The the one company that didn't meet our targets, our growth targets that we set, we actually didn't bring them to demo day. Every other company sort of exceeded our targets in terms of growth. Some of them were seeing six hundred percent growth uh, month on month. And you were able to show that during the demo day that they, they, when they started they were dates and now they're that. Correct. That's, that's interesting. Correct. Now now one thing that we have seen though is that there, it's no lie that there's not a whole lot of follow on funding in this environment. Mm-hmm. And so we are certainly looking at this model of early stage companies, support early stage companies. Does it need to be slightly different here in Africa? Can you build companies without necessarily because uh, it, it appears that the investors want to see a lot more traction mm-hmm. around these parts before they pony up with their money. Yeah. And so... They want to de risk it. The, 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 the risk appetite is a lot lower. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot... Is a lot lower here, yeah, yeah. Uh, so so that's something that we we are observing, mm-hmm. and we're certainly sort of positioning ourselves for that. The, the third thing I would say is, um, this is not a one year exit for us. Uh, we're very aware that the companies we support would probably have to stick around. For, so you have the patience to yes, go that way. We probably have to stick around for two to three years or at the earliest, mm-hmm. and as we now open our fund. Uh, we're actually just wrapping up a syndicate uh, fund now uh, to allow us, enable us, continue to invest in the companies in the acceleration program. After? Yes. Okay. Uh, no, no, no. For the, acce- for the acceleration, for the acceleration program. Okay. The backers of the syndicate are well aware that this is not a... It's, um, a um, it's not a marathon, it's patient capital. Uh, the companies are also under pressure to, to perform. Uh, and, you know... The, the the criteria of the kinds of founders that we support is getting clearer. Uh, I mean, one of the one of the things I've learned is if I can't see myself working for that founder or that company, I'm not going to. I'm I'm very. I'm, put your money I'm in going to be very reluctant to get them in the program or put my money wow. in it. Um, so we have to, you know, because having the experience that I that one has, you sort of know the kind of attitude, uh, and not that we know it all. Uh, well, but you, you get to know that over time, over the kind time. of founders that will likely succeed. Yes. And the kind of uh, businesses that, that they can run. Correct. Uh, another thing we're seeing is the maturity. Uh, there's a certain level of maturity and discipline that a lot of our extremely young founders don't have. And that's something that we're seeing is very critical. Wow. The third thing I'll add is domain experience. Right. Uh, even, especially offline as well. Offline domain experiences can be very instrumental. Uh, one of the very successful founders in our last cohort, uh, uh, was a banker for about 10 years. And now he's doing a fintech company doing microloans. And, um, you throw any question at Victor, he has the offline version experience of it. So wow. all he has to do is figure out how to use technology to do it to faster make it better. and better. And, and, and data shows that those are yeah. the most successful. Uh, founders, and it is this myth about um, Silicon Valley hood wearing 19, 20 something year yeah, old founders. Yeah. They are uh, most of the time outliers. Yeah. The most successful founders are in their 40s, in their early, late 30s, 40s. They have years of experience working somewhere, have domain experience, and they're using technology to make it better. So, this is, uh, this is, this is the thesis. This That's is, for you. This is part this of the Our investment thesis is becoming closer to that. We, wow. want more, we want more domain experience. We want a bit of age on, on your side. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to see a reflection of some discipline and maturity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and also the the symmetry of the founders. You know, if there's more than one founder, which is always good. Uh, you know, are they likely to be able to work together in the long term? Uh, how long have they known each other? And do they share values? Very, very important. We also are weary of founders that are in it for, you know, this whole raising thing. 
they just need to raise money yeah. and be on the face on the cover of tech yeah. about no no that's that's a big red flag and lastly i would add that focus we are fi- we're finding that a lot of entrepreneurs in this part have like seven ideas and and there's nothing wrong with that but they even want to pitch you all the seven ideas now my challenge is if i'm going to support you and if we're going to put our money to back you we want to believe that you're working on that idea that that's all you dream and that's all you eat you know and so the disciplined pursuit of less and the power of focus is something that um we think a lot of our entrepreneurs wow. in the space are lacking. I, I think I've not had a lot of people talk to me about how the clarity of the thesis for incubation in yeah. Africa, yeah. maybe. But I would say that what I'm hearing from you sounds like something that would really, really work mm. a lot. Mm. And it's more clearer. And I think it answers lots of questions around mm. whether this can work. And yeah. again, it's an experiment, but yeah. it seems that you've got some pieces that will actually, that's the risk in that, yeah. which is the experience, the, the founders. The, the, the other bit I'd like to add is also the incentive for the founders. So one of the things we learned is we can't try and own the company. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, even though when you compare to the global players like the YCs of this world, what we give is very little, even though uh, pound for pound in terms of the purchasing power, it's, you know, comparative, uh, almost comparative. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're doing 10% equity ask from the companies, which for if you look at historically at what other incubators and accelerators have done mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. is very, very founder friendly. Mm-hmm. And so that's the other bit is we, we take a very founder friendly approach with, mm-hmm. and we hope that uh, this this can motivate and keep our founders uh, focused on building a great business for themselves. Wow, that's good. Yeah. Okay. I've got two questions being we'll round up. So one is, how do you see the future of these tech businesses in Africa going? I mean, you've been a part of it. You've seen it grow. Uh, and you've been part of it in a way. And now you're now building. You're part of the people that are building the future. What do you see happening that will happen in the next five years in Africa? I think that tech businesses are going to become very instrumental to the future of our continent. So from everything like finance, you can see now that uh, tech startups are redefining the way we exchange value, uh, make uh, a sort of rendering our borders almost useless. If you look in the area of power, I was talking to a startup the other day that's building technology that's going to cut the cost of uh, power supply to a home by about 30 to 40%. You have startups that are doing things around subscription-based uh, solar power. So, so, so I think that this tech startup story is going to move away from just being a glam and, and glamour thing to actually being an important piece of moving Africa forward. So you think it's going to change the way we live, we, we communicate, we, we, we work around everything. It's going to affect every part of our life. For, fundamentally, I think it's going to redefine Africa, even in the area of transparency, I mean, with, with what's happening in government now, I mean, you look at a lot of the work that budget is doing. Look, our governments are going to be less corrupt uh, because of the tech startups. So, so, so I think Africa is going through a rapid transformation right now, and a lot of it is going to be driven by the work of our tech startups. I, I also think that um, as we start to have more successful examples to point to, I think the quality of founders would continue to improve on a grander scale. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I, and, I, and I particularly like the rise of, of the female founder. Uh, we're seeing a lot more female involvement, mm-hmm. and that's something that, that, that I think would continue to, to thrive. Good. Yeah. So I'll round off with a series of uh, five questions to you. The first one, what's the biggest business pain point at the moment? Talent. Secondly, what is the number one growth metric that you're measuring now in your business? Okay, so I'll start with Ventures. For Ventures, it's uh, the uh, companies being able to raise our companies, our post-batch companies being raising able to money. Ra- raise money yeah. uh, at emerging platforms where we're clearly looking at our cost lines uh, because of the economy we're in. Uh, managing our, our, our cost of operations—that's the major metric. The major metric that I'm moment. measuring at the what moment. What book are you reading at the moment? Well, right now I'm reading uh, Peter Thiel's book, um, Zero to One. Zero to One. I'm rereading it actually uh, because you know I was interested in knowing sort of what influences his thinking, particularly with his involvement in the last year's elections. Which business is getting you excited at the moment? That is not in your court. Which one is really getting you excited at the moment? I like. Like what Wi-Fi 
Wi-Fi.ng is doing. Um, I, I don't know how much they're going to be able to sustain it. I don't understand the underlining um, activities, but I like what they're doing. I like the vision, and I, and I, and I hope that they will be very successful. And what do we expect from you in the next five years? Wow. wow. In the next five years, I hope to have been supportive of, 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 of a few successful companies uh, with the work that we do our ventures platform. I hope to have played, a, played some role in making this ecosystem better. And, you know, I believe that ventures platform would, would probably be a leading uh, acceleration brand in Africa. That's awesome. Thank yes. you, Kala. It's been interesting chatting to you and um, you've been you've been very inspirational I think talking more to you is just giving more inspiration as well thank, thank you. you very much for coming to the show thanks for having me I had a good time talking to you Dalton cheers yeah. you've been listening to Building the Future podcast by Dalton these are the interviews with entrepreneurs that are playing a key part in shaping the African future and you'll be able to hear all their stories for more sign up for the weekly newsletter at thestarter.com our revolution will be televised. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed the show. Before you go, I have a favor to ask you, and it will take 30 seconds of your time or less. It will mean a lot to me. If you like this podcast, you can easily let me know by going into iTunes, Teacher, SoundCloud, or wherever you download podcasts and subscribe. You can also go to our website, thestarter.com. That is T-H-E-S-T-A-R-T-A dot com and sign up for our newsletter. It will be a huge favor to me and it's really simple and easy. If you subscribe now, it will help us a lot. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by The Lunge Practice. Are you about to start a new business or running an existing one? You need a lawyer. I have seen a number of startups unable to raise money or miss out on a lucrative deal because they fail legal due diligence. You don't want that to happen to you. This is why you need to have a startup-focused lawyer. The ones that understand your early hustle and are willing to partner with you now. The Lunge Practice is a legal firm that specializes in working with early-stage startups in Africa. When I started getting involved in the Nigerian startup ecosystem, they were recommended to me as a lawyer that understands startups and investors. Since then, I've used their service and so are many orders, including the likes of Flutterwave, Techaba, Printivo, Rayfruits, Ventures Platform, Lagos Angel Network, and many others. To get free consultation as a listener of this podcast, fill out a form on podcast.thelongerpractice.com and one of the lawyers will get in touch with you. That is podcast.thelongerpractice.com. You can also find a link in this podcast show notes. Let me tell you about Accountier. No matter the stage of your business, your success is dependent on how much you understand your finance. Accountier is a ridiculously simple online accounting platform specifically designed for small and medium scale businesses in Africa. It is neat, easy to use and simple. With a mobile app, you can also use it offline. Accountier simplifies your financial report, help you to create invoices, track your expenses and avoid overpaying taxes. Here's the best thing. Accountier is integrated to local payment solutions such as Paystack in Nigeria and Dusupay in Uganda, Ghana, Rwanda, Kenya, and Tanzania. Go to accountier.com forward slash Dotun and sign up to use it for free. There's an exclusive offer to the listeners of this podcast. You get 75% off your first year subscription when you sign up for a premium account. Go to accountier.com forward slash Dotun. That is A-C-C-O-U-N-T-E-E-R.com forward slash dot and sign up.